All right, boys, just listen up for a sec. Can you hear that? Mm-hmm. How does that sound make you feel? Give me, give me some adjectives. It's nice. It's kind of like reassuring. Mm. Steady. That sounds like a very accurate kind of... I really like the sound of that mechanism. It's very precise, isn't it? Yeah. It also makes me feel like I, I should be somewhere that I'm not. Like I'm... <laughs> or something what have I forgotten? Kind of running late. Um, but it does sound very nice. I think all of that is very valid, boys. But let me tell you, this is the sound of a British-designed mechanical timepiece from the talented team at Marlow Watch Company, sponsors of this episode. And with Marlowe, each collection is influenced by a historical story of inspiring human endeavour. Now, I've spent some time at their HQ recently because, well, I'm curious about mechanical timekeeping and also how things work. And I can tell you that there is so much very pleasing attention to detail that goes into each and every watch design. Now, these guys are serious about their watches, and you can tell by looking at some of the watch reviews online. I mean, the words quality and value come up time and again. Visit MarlowWatchCompany.com to see for yourself. Marlow Watch Company, time well spent, which I also like to think could be said for this podcast. All right, boys, just listen up for a sec. Can you hear that? Mm-hmm. How does that sound make you feel? Give me, give me some adjectives. It's nice. It's kind of like reassuring... Mm. Steady. That sounds like a very accurate kind of. I really like the sound of that mechanism. It's very precise, isn't it? Yeah. It also makes me feel like I, I should be somewhere that I'm not. Like I'm. <laughs> or something what that have I I'm forgotten? Kind of running late. Um, but it does sound very nice. I think all of that is very valid, boys. But let me tell you, this is the sound of a British-designed mechanical timepiece from the talented team at Marlow Watch Company, sponsors of this episode. And with Marlowe, each collection is influenced by a historical story of inspiring human endeavour. Now, I've spent some time at their HQ recently because, well, I'm curious about mechanical timekeeping and also how things work. And I can tell you that there is so much very pleasing attention to detail that goes into each and every watch design. Now, these guys are serious about their watches, and you can tell by looking at some of the watch reviews online. I mean, the words quality and value come up time and again. Visit MarlowWatchCompany.com to see for yourself. Marlow Watch Company, time well spent, which I also like to think could be said for this podcast. I do remember at school learning about the mean, median and mode going, well, what's the point in the middle point? If you go to what is the average income of America, if you have a few highly rich people in there, you end up with a situation where nearly everybody is actually below average. So in a situation like that, you're generally better off using the median, but probably you just need to look at the data. This week, we're talking about sneaky averages. The worst is when people do an average of averages. One data set is really big and the other one is really small. That just really messes up the data. When I called it sneaky averages, I just meant that averages often like hide something. <laughs> they are a little bit sneaky, but I feel like we veered into the people are sneaky <laughs> territory. Yeah, we absolutely hijack. Have we reached that cynical age? Hello and welcome to Sketchplanations, the podcast. 
tantalizingly close to reaching the top spots on all global podcast platforms, we continue in our quest to bring you the very best audio content money can't buy. So what is it? It's a podcast. When is it? Well, we record on Tuesday evenings once the kids have gone to bed, but it's released into your audio stratosphere first thing Thursday mornings. How is it? Don't you worry. It's doing just fine. Who is it? I'm glad you asked. I'm Rob Bell. Hello. And joining me to delve into the world of sketchplanations once again this week is Southwest London's visionary virtuoso, John O'Hay, and Hertfordshire's favourite headstrong heartthrob, it's Tom Pellero. Good <laughs> wow. evening, chaps. Good evening. <laughs> Good evening. I mean, this this won't matter or actually probably be noticeable to listeners because there won't be a gap between episodes when this goes out. But here we are all together after quite some time, actually. It's been a while. Mm. I mean, I guess due to factors, brackets general, um, <laughs> we've not recorded a podcast for a little while. and um, But we've also been away and, and done some, some cool stuff in that time. Mostly Tom. Mostly Tom's been away. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was eight hours ahead last week, which I know you really wanted me to record it, but I'd only been asleep for about three hours. So that wasn't going to be possible. I think it would have added a, a different dynamic to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I might have. Don't wake up. I might have been more awake. Actually, I don't know. <laughs> I was without the kids as well. Tommy, you were uh, you were away with work, were you? Yeah, I was in uh, Hong Kong and China uh, this time last week. Um, it was twenty nine degrees. It's boiling. I went over there with a couple of suits, you know, the jackets and all that. It was like. Why did I bring any of these things? It was boiling compared to here. Shorts and flip-flops. It's funny, isn't it, saying like the weather in China, because I I bet somewhere in China at the same time it was freezing cold, yes. probably snowing. Yes, yes. Such a massive country. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, well, John and I have actually been away in the mm. south of France in that time as well. Mm. Um, we went and did a swim run race down there. Yeah, it was down there. Well, yeah, yeah. Branded, yeah. fully branded out. China there. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. It's true. Actually, I don't. I don't brand up for many things, but I do like these events, even they, though they're way too hard. They are hard. Yeah. I always forget every year how difficult it is. Yeah. John and I over the last, well, I don't know, what should we say, seven years? Yeah. Something yeah. like that. I've done um, races in the discipline of swim run, which is a series of swims and runs. Um, and every year we really, really look forward to it. And every year when we get there, we'll be trained for it. We work quite hard and it's really nice because there's some other friends of ours who do it as well. And you get to spend all this time in the build up to it. And then you get there and it's, it's really difficult. <laughs> what To call it a swim and a run sounds like quite a leisurely day, but how... Well, it's a number of swims uh, yeah, and a number of runs. Yeah. How many, how far are these things? Well, yeah. <laughs> it's like you know. 50 kilometres run and 10 it's insane. It takes all day. I'm, I'm sure we've talked about swim run before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tommy, I'm sure your your trip out to China was similarly grueling as well. Yeah, it's always pretty because uh, I know I know what it's like. Because it, obviously, you, the opportunity to go out there, it's not like you're going out there, you know, <laughs> socially a number of times a year. No. So when you do go out there, I know you've got a lot of a lot of stuff to get done, a lot of people to see. Yes, um, first time I've been um, out for four years. Uh, oh, is it? And the, the uh, country continues to expand and change enormously. Uh, and, and crazy things like you don't use a credit card to pay for anything in China. Everything is done via WeChat, which is their equivalent of WhatsApp. And you pay via like QR codes that you have on your phone. So if you go with like a credit card or with cash, they're kind of like, oh, what's what's this? 
and it's mm. you don't have to like log in or you end up letting someone else pay for you the whole time it's sort of really weird <laughs> it's just like being okay. a, a child again you're like oh sorry i can't pay for anything can you help me anyway we are all back we've unpacked the laundry's on i've just finished watering the house plants and there's a stack of mail over there oh, it's mostly junk mail am i right <laughs> but that can wait because we have serious business to attend to the wise hows and wherefores won't answer themselves, you know. Is the podcast. This week, we're talking about sneaky averages, where the provision of a single, isolated statistic might not tell you the whole story, or, as is sometimes the case, tells a completely different one. The sketch for this episode should be displayed on your screens now, but if not, then you can see it at sketchrelations.com, and I'll include the link to this specific sketch in the podcast description down below. And before we get into it properly, remember, you can get in touch with us about your thoughts on sneaky averages, or any of our previous episodes for that matter, by emailing us. Tom, what's the email address? I know it's been a while, but... Hello at sketchrelations.com. Thank you. Let's start as many a lecture, speech, or even previous Sketchplanations of the Podcast episode have before by quoting Mark Twain, who wrote, or supposedly once wrote, there are three kinds of lies, lies, damned lies, and statistics. Right then, Jono, let's hear about how you came to think up this idea for a sketch. First of all, probably, do you want to talk us through the sketch itself on sneaky averages? Yeah, it's a really, really simple one, <clears throat> this one, in terms of the sketch. Um, so it's just, it's just trying to point out your average may be hiding something, and it's really a visual for a little story slash joke that I read, which was about... Uh, the statistician who drowned after seeing that the average depth of water was three feet, and and so I thought, that, yeah, it's just quite it's quite a nice illustrative example of some of the pitfalls of averages. And so the sketch is a statistician. Oh, he's got a clipboard. Anyway. He's got a clipboard. He's got a clipboard <laughs> anyway, and he's generally floating down into this uh, trench with a little fish looking on and a big sign saying average depth three feet. And of course there was a lot of shallow water that he perhaps was walking through and then he suddenly disappeared down a hole. Ankle deep. Exactly. Shallow water. Um, And so that's what the sketch is. It's called Sneaky Averages and it's uh, trying to point out that your average may be hiding something. Indeed. And and when you... um... When you had this in mind, were you thinking specifically about averages or kind of misleading statistics more generally? So I was I was thinking about averages. There were a couple of things that uh, came together for this one. The first one is, and I, I picked it out, was I read this, um, I bought this fun, really old book. It's not really old, old book called How to Lie with Statistics. Mm, nice. Which is... Um, uh, it's kind of a fun title, but basically the whole book is all the ways that it's the other way around, really. Statistics lie to you or you can be misled by statistics, which, yep. of course, you could use if you wanted to, to to lie with them. Um, and it has a chapter, which I read uh, a while before, about the well-chosen average. Mm. And it talks about how averages can be very misleading in some context and then much later i came across i came across that little story about about the statistician who drowned after seeing the average depth was three feet and then i was like ah maybe that's a way to to illustrate it in a in a visual so that's 
that's how I came across it. And I was, because I read that chapter about averages, the well-chosen average, I was thinking about averages. Obviously, there's many, many ways. And actually, I've got a few other sketches about different ways that charts and statistics can mislead you. Um, but this was also because uh, I, I think I come up to the issues with averages actually in my everyday life and in my day job. And so I had been thinking about it a fair bit. So that's why yeah. nice to point out. I think we we are subjected to averages coming at us from many different angles in our everyday life, in the news, in advertising, especially um, politics and even science. Sometimes, you know, scientific papers um, that you might read themselves or or summaries of in the in the news. Tommy, what's what's your view on this? Having just uh, seen you pop something in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm eating chocolate. Ah, oh, come on. I thought we talked about this before. Oh, oh, I was expecting you to chat for a bit longer. <laughs> um, okay, so one, so one area that I see it a lot, one area where I see, it might not be, it might not be averages. Tommy, that wasn't a cue to eat more. Um, <laughs> it's going again. I created a, I've created a link because on You're average... You're on a podcast, you know. It's a, in, in, my milk, in my dairy milk, there's a glass and a half of milk in every bar, but that, oh. there's definitely not a glass and a half in that uh, little, little bar there. Um, sorry, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, one area where you see statistics mm. used in um, advertising a lot... Yeah is in um, the beauty industry. And so a lot of the time you do see, I don't know, in shampoo or beauty product adverts, you know, that it tells you about the, the product benefits and um, and the results of, of people using them and followed up with phrases like 78% of customers agree. And then the corner of the screen in like a light, of. lightly colored text on a white background, it, st- it states that the, those results were from, I don't know, 76 out of 98 women surveyed. Typically, you might see something like that. Yeah. Or, or. So are you, are you aware of uh, using averages? Is it, is it something you've come across in, in your line of work with, um, with your products and how you market those? Uh, yes, on lots of different levels of it. Obviously, I'm an engineer, so I do love statistics and uh, yeah. numbers and data and um, have been fortunate enough to have quite a lot of training in it and how to spot for um, things that can go wrong. Um, I do find that a huge amount of advertising, marketing, you know, digital marketing is all about numbers, Jono. I'm sure you have this as well. You're talking to your agency and their number of click-throughs and the click-through rate and the percentage click-through rate and the cost per click-through rate and blah, blah, blah. And, and often they sort of average all that together to sort of say you know this campaign this week you've spent x amount and this is how good we are sort of thing um and you then have to start drilling into that information to find out often they have been very good in some things and it hasn't been so good in others and um so that kind of danger of averaging out information can be the the worst is when people do an average of averages they take a an average of this data set and an average of this data set and then take an average of the two. And if one data set is really big and the other one is really small, say, that just really messes up uh, the data. So yeah. I do remember at school learning about the mean, median and mode going, well, what's the point in the middle point, like the median? But actually, that's quite quite a useful one we use that quite a lot when we're surveying people to find is it, out is their it worth, view 
is it worth quickly just explaining the difference between those three? Yes, Johnny. <laughs> yeah, did you did you come across it? I actually have a very old sketch called uh, oh. Measures of Central Tendency, um, which goes through the difference between mean, median and mode. And they're all different types of averages, essentially. But the one we normally talk about when it's average is the mean value, which is the one we're most familiar with, where you just add them all up and you divide by the number of items. Um, so that's the most common. But the median value is like if you if you put all of the numbers and in a list and ranked in rank order, you take the middle one of the list. And then the mode is if you lined up all the numbers and you said, OK, well, which one comes up the most? Um, so they're all different types of measures that you can you can use. And actually, one of the one of the things he talks about in this in the book that I read is that when someone says average you might assume that they mean the mean but they might not mm, they might be talking yeah. about the median yeah. and you don't Abs- know absolutely and i think in in a kind of general lexicon the word average has come to mean like the normal yeah like, like the norm um which which it, it can be but it doesn't necessarily mean that there, there was um I don't know if you came across this <laughs> at the risk of using up all my sketches in one podcast. There was one. Have you? Did you come across the one wealth inequality in America? An, mm. Another very old one, um, and it's, it was from a it was from a video talking about wealth wealth inequality and income. Is it, so a lot of things a, a mean is quite a good measure. So, for example, if you said yeah. what is the average height of people in a country? Yeah people tend to be on like a normal distribution and so you don't tend to have like massive outliers of that you know some people are going to be generally somewhere between five foot and six foot something let's because say. when you when you use a mean average those outliers can be quite distorted yeah yeah well yeah if, if, if you've got something if you've got a few that are particularly small or a few that are particularly well, big that can skew and so that's why I was saying, so generally speaking, something like a height, you don't have that. But yes. the wealth inequality one is something where actually you have yes. enormous inequalities. And actually you think about it, you go, OK, well, like obviously some people are really don't have very little money living on the street. A lot of people are somewhere in the middle and then there are some rich people. And then you go, well, the rich people are really quite a lot richer. So it's probably quite a big spike at the end. And then actually, if you were to chart it out, the rich people are like, literally off the charts rich yeah. like way off the top and so you actually have a quite a, you have this strange situation if you go to like what is the average income of america it's very or a, a you know a neighborhood or something like that if you have a few highly rich people in there you end up with a situation where nearly everybody is actually below average yeah which is very strange and so in a situation like that where you have really big outliers you're generally better off using the median because you'd end up with something which is a bit more representative of the population. But probably you just need to look at the data, like you, like you said, Tom, with your campaigns. You and just, go, okay, well, that's the average, but let's have a look at it. Yeah, yeah. let's drill down on it. And I get accused a bit of being all about the detail and looking into stuff. And we're supposed to be saying, you know, as, as a managing director and CEO of a company, we should be looking at high level of the, and just looking at the summaries of stuff. And I'm like, well... Yeah, but actually, if we drill down in it, we often find that that campaign that looked bad was only bad because there was one outlier that was really bad. 
and the rest mm. of it was doing quite well. So if we turn that outlier off, actually the campaign looks really quite nice, whereas other campaigns can look really good, but they're not really good until you get into uh, the detail. Um, but um, Jono, on your point about um, average sort of or inequality in America, I think the junior doctors... Um, when they were on strike, there was quite a lot. Of the, there were certain statements saying, oh, you know, these junior doctors, they get paid a fortune. The average salary of junior doctors is. And it was because there were some quite high outliers because of specialization that they get paid lots. So they sort of drag the whole average up, whereas actually the, the median or the mode, um, what, a, what a typical junior doctor might get is actually mm. much, much lower, especially when you factor in their overtime and the sort of sociability of their hours. Um, yeah. it's, it's a very different story. And so the government who was saying that the strikers didn't deserve this extra, they were using one average and the doctors or the people representing the doctors were using a very different average. Like, how can this be that your av- your averages are so different? And it's I, lies, I think that... damn lies and statistics. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's spot on. And that's why it's called like the well-chosen average, because often you might choose... You, the reference point that works well for you and i think that happens a lot in politics let's say you know you t- choose a yeah. choose a data point to support your argument and it's not necessarily that people have got them wrong and not yeah. not deliberately lying they've just chosen a different way to represent the data that supports your point better and so basically like this whole book is don't take data at face value go okay well where did it come from how did you measure it yeah what does it what does it all look like you know um what what were the people who were showing me this data what do they care about what have they got to to lose or win by it yeah 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 so there there and and i guess when you're looking at data there are three phases involved in getting to that end result where you've got a a piece of data or a statistic to present so collecting the data so how how are you collecting it who are you choosing how many yeah. are you choosing uh, there's um, how you process that data. So what is the, what are the maths that you're going to do on it? And then how are you going to present those results? They're the, the three different facets of, of producing and, um, I guess, publishing statistics. And if you know what you're doing, you could use the same data set and come up with completely different, completely different arguments. You could go in with the same uh, kind of loose brief, but come out with two very different very different results on in how you go about it i got into an absolute rabbit hole when i started reading around this and and i've got I, i've started to lose my mind in it because it's there's so much to it especially when you look at it from a marketeer's perspective um so people marketeers and and statisticians perspective people who really really know what they're doing when it comes to these numbers and and can manipulate it and and not not necessarily when i say manipulate it automatically feels like i'm saying it in an evil way it's 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 not it's using data that's what it is it's manipulating using data i think a tricky thing is that you're not often in a position to know all of those pieces about the data you talked about, like you, yeah. you know, you, all you get is a statistic and you're not really in a position to, to judge it in most cases. And I, that was true. That was true in, in science a lot as well. You know, you get the, the results would be reported in papers and there's a movement now generally to like include the original source data of your experiment as well, to allow other people mm-hmm. to look at the data and check that, check that it was done right or maybe they could look at it a different way and see see how you did it as opposed to just publishing the result but if you just get a number in a newspaper you don't really know and you know 
Which is why I think all scientific uh, data and papers should be presented um, in a pre-GCSE science experiment way. Uh, title, aim, yeah. apparatus, hypothesis, uh, hypothesis, method, method uh, results, raw results, results. Um, conclusion. What was it? Where you? What was it? Where Analysis. you manipulate results? Analysis, conclusions. Yeah. There you go. That way, you do have the full story. There you go. That's my pitch. <laughs> Good memories. Great, great times. The hypothesis get, was always get, quite so fun, excited. wasn't it? It's like hypothesis. Let's just make something up here. This is what we're trying to achieve. Brilliant. Well, there's um, I, I actually I mentioned in the description for this sketch a uh, I did a statistics course in the psychology department at UC Berkeley by this professor called Sheldon Zedek, which is an awesome cool name. name. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he had a few things. So one of the things that he said which i put in this article which i really stuck with me which was spend time with your data and because that's when you notice that things are outliers you haven't just sort of summed it up and said okay i've got all my data i put it in the spreadsheet i pressed the analysis and this was the result is actually you might have missed a ton of stuff unless you spent time with it and the other thing that uh he really cemented me was this what he called planned comparisons because there's a really interesting there's a great xkcd cartoon about it. there's a really interesting thing when you're doing an experiment is that if you collect a lot of data and you and you look at it and you go okay well i've got all of these people i've got all these facets of the people i've got all the the, the things that they did in the experiment and i've got all the, the outcomes and if you look at enough combinations of things there's a very good chance that some of these will correlate yeah. quite strongly and you'll be yeah. able to go, oh, well, you know, as Look long as this. you're male and over 40, if you do this and eat greens, then you're going to live longer, right? Because, But yes. that's because you you looked at 50 combinations and it's like every time you look at a new combination for a new correlation, you have to put your threshold higher, your threshold for what? Your your threshold for whether or not it's chance. Sorry. Sure. Okay. So yeah. like it could just be random in this in this particular sample. Um but what you so what you need to do is you need to say before you do your experiment, this is what I think is gonna happen and when I get the result, I'm gonna look at this combination. Because every time you come in and look at the combination, you've got just essentially some some dice rolling A going on. Yeah. And if you look uh-huh. at enough of them, you might find something. He, uh, the XKCD cartoon is he's like I, don't, I think it's to do with jelly beans and it's you know to do jelly beans you know reduce your blood pressure or something like that and he's like yeah red jelly beans don't reduce your blood pressure green jelly beans don't reduce blood pressure and eventually finds one of them which had some random chance <laughs> correlation that, that that helps you out and so it's a really strange it's a really strange facet of data that the more times you look at it you have to you have to take that into account um, yeah. So yeah, so when you, when you talk about the hypotheses thing, uh, that was one of the things that I remember Sheldon Zellett taught, taught me as well. Planned comparisons. Should you be doing some analyses of your own? So because isn't there um, a kind of phrase for statistics in that correlation does not imply causation? Yeah, ex- yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's Till the old yeah. depends how you. That's the old um, shock tax and ice cream sales. There you go. Okay. So yeah. there's a massive correlation between ice cream sales and shark attacks in most countries, obviously because sh- shark attacks happen in the summer when people are eating ice creams. Yeah. 
There's, I mean, there's a fantastic... Obviously, sorry, when I say most countries, I exclude the UK. We don't get a lot of shark attacks, luckily. There's <laughs> a fantastic graph I saw preparing for, for this chat tonight that pits the age of Miss America over a 10-year period against the number of annual murders in the US by steam, hot liquids and hot vapours. And the two lines follow each other on this graph over this 10-year period almost perfectly. Wow. So you're thinking, wow, look at those. The age of Miss America and the number of annual murders by steam, hot liquids and hot vapours. <laughs> well, obviously, there is no... <laughs> No. causation between these two there is no correlation of these two items i wonder how long it took the researchers to find two oh, yeah. that match it must have just Brilliant. been there for days i don't know, which, I don't know where, where you found that but there's a there's a site which collects those Amazing. like oh is it really yeah this, this was on a blog oh yeah no it's brilliant it's got all sorts of you know ridiculous things that correlate with each other but obviously have nothing to do with each other Oh, that's fantastic. I wonder if I can find that and uh, include that link for that website. Yeah, um, I forget the name at the moment, but it's a brilliant it's a brilliant collection. Quick interjection from me. I've looked it up and that website is called Spurious Correlations and it's well worth a look. I'll include a link in the description down below. Right, back to you guys. But then this brings us on to um, graphics that represent statistics as well, I think, because because you can use graphics in a kind of cheeky way to to get a point across especially bar graphs yeah there's there's tons you could you can do with that um should you wish you could have a search on the sketchmination site for ways that um date you, know, you can lie with uh charts and graphs and because there's a there's um some really nice book and work by edward tufty about the like, visual display of quantitative information and he goes he goes to town on examples like those and chart junk where people have embellished charts with all sorts of random things there's some examples in this in this book of that sort of thing as well there's um the one that i see perhaps the most which really which really bugs me is a bit like that they, they do something where for example you take the price of oil and you make it, you say, you, but you use your you use a column chart, but instead of a column, you do a barrel, right? Because yeah. it's a oil. So you say it's $46 per barrel, let's say. And then you say it's $56 per barrel. And you just scale up the barrel up to a height of 56. And of course, what you did there is the heights are the change in the price of oil. Yeah. But a barrel, which is up that big, is now yeah. holding like 50 times as much oil as the previous one and yeah, so you, it's you, height and its width and its depth all increase to that same exactly amount. yeah so yeah. you've massively accelerated things so yeah things like that where you you use volume instead of area to compare things and stuff um and and like that that example where you haven't also you haven't put the zero on the chart you've started it halfway so if you want if you want something yeah. to i mean here's like if you want something to look like a big change. A you big just jump, start yeah. at, you know, 200 and you say go between 200 and 210 and then it's like a really exciting graph. Otherwise, it looks completely stable. Um, another one I found is if you're putting a chart on a PowerPoint slide or Google slide, let's say, and you want it to look like it's going up more, just make the chart narrower and then it goes up more in a shorter space. Mm. 
Yes. Whereas nice. if you want, if you, yeah, exactly, yeah. So if you, if you don't, if your chart if it's not going up steep enough, you know, because that's probably because you put your chart really wide on the page. Oh, yeah. You just print it really <laughs> narrow. That's and, good. Ooh. That's good. I've yeah. got, I've got a board meeting with Lord Sugar in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so I'll, uh, I'll yeah. make can sure I. I can give you another that? trick, Tommy? Uh, really, another trick for sales. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cumulative sales. Ah, oh, yeah. Cumulative sales is excellent. And it's excellent. always on the way up. Yeah. Exactly, and and don't take any negatives out. That's a pretty, uh, pretty clever one as well. When I called it sneaky averages, I was thinking, I didn't, I didn't really mean that people Politics. are usually sneaky. I just meant that <laughs> averages often like hide something, and they are a little bit sneaky. Yeah, but I feel like we've veered into the. The yeah, people are sneaky. We have. So I was gonna, <laughs> have, we, have we reached that cynical age? Is that the uh, reality of this? No, and I'm, and I'm glad you clarify this, John. And I'm glad you clarify it because this does happen quite often in this podcast where you, this your sketch has a very clear intention of what it's trying to communicate. <laughs> and Rob finds the darker side of it. Yeah, we absolutely hijack it <laughs> and, and take it on a journey that it doesn't deserve to go on. I think, though, I think intuitively... Uh, all of us have quite a lot of practice thinking about this in in some ways when like if you're taking into account mm. reviews and reviews is something yeah. where we're always we're presented with data all the time you know something got 4.5 out, out of 5 or you know this one's 5 and there's a number of reviews and then i would think reviews are one where it's so you like you said about the where did it come from and how did you prepare it and how did you publish it really affect those things because reviews are uh, extremely and this is what happens in our work quite a lot which is bimodal I think and so you end up with like loads of reviews of products where they're you either put a one or yeah. you put a four or a five yeah. you either this was awful or you're four or five and you never heard from all the threes because they couldn't, they be, bothered. couldn't be bothered yeah is that is that what you mean by bimodal is that what that means in that I, I, I mean yeah, yeah, yeah I mean that, there or there yeah so if you if you were to chart them out and plot them on a, on a line you'd be like oh there's a big cluster at yeah. one of people who had an awful experience yeah. and then there's a big cluster of people who thought this was amazing yeah and yeah. very often there's nothing in in between yeah, the, the twos and threes yeah yeah fine i can't and, be bothered and there's quite tricky because you're like well actually we didn't we didn't hear from all the people who would have put yes. who would have filled out the middle thing and we heard from the ones and so but you so i think i think people sort of know that if you're reading yeah. reviews on a site you go well would i yeah. have done you know what do i do when i do reviews and maybe i'll read yeah. a few reviews do i agree with the one star okay i'm i'm cool if that's what the one star review is because i yeah don't think that person's worth listening to or something like that or maybe it was just a bad day it's like the people who review a product on amazon and they say this was excellent arrived very quickly and i'm like that's that's not a review that's amazon <laughs> been doing that for decades yeah. <laughs> like, let's talk about the product here. five star <laughs> arrived yeah, on it, time what it's not a review <laughs> So, so I think reviews is something which is very much like you know you take an average and it does it usually doesn't mean very much because there's which a, is why you have to yeah. dig further and and when you're on things like I don't know Uber or Airbnb or a trusted house sitter I don't know whatever it might be you kind of then or even like with tradespeople as well it's something I've been spending a bit of time with you you need to look at that average and then delve in and look at some of the comments where you get a bit more qualitative information to back up yeah. that average which may or may not be sneaky yeah if you, if you have that i mean how do you do you like you know with like rating uber drivers or airbnbs do you 
Do you, do you spread? Do you use the full range of no, review I'm numbers? I'm bimodal with it, Jono. Oh, really? I'm bimodal. You're ones and fives. <laughs> ones and fives. <laughs> but typically fives, because ones you go, oh, that was, I'm not even going to bother. Yeah. I think. Because you, well, um, you never know, because like, they might be having a bad day as well. Mm. <coughs> as so you it say, might Johnny, have been a bad ride, but you're, you're, you're wondering about how they feel. Maybe they really yeah. need the job. I don't want to... Yeah, I'll give him a five. Over. <laughs> <laughs> it was awful. I'll give him a five. <laughs> but I'll tell you where, I'll tell you where um, a real difficulty with this is, is in politics where statistics are being used on both, I say both, there may be more than two sides of an argument or of an, or of an issue because we're aware of how data can be manipulated and how averages can be sneaky, intentionally sneaky. Yeah. How do you decide who to trust without having to do as much reading as was probably necessary to create those statistics in the first place? Yeah, do all the work yourself. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Which obviously nobody can do. So so when we're when you're talking there about something like the general public, you feel like there's probably a decent understanding about how that works with the review system, with apps and things like that, because it has become a, a quite a, a, a common vocabulary and a common language for us all mm. when it comes to politics i think that it's it's becoming increasingly difficult actually yeah, i completely agree and it's unfortunately very very difficult and i think potentially democracy has been slightly uh, warped uh i i to plug a, a a podcast more or less from the bbc podcast uh is brilliant in terms of looking at statistics and uh understanding recent tim ones. harford yeah it? yeah yeah. Uh, Undercover Economist is also a very good book. Um, uh, to, also by Tim Hunt. Um, uh, so, no, I, you're completely right, Rob. There are mm. a, a lot of misuse of statistics and statements So is it, is it on fair? both sides. Is it fair to knowingly use statistics sneakily? Because like a statistic that has come from data is valid in some sense right because it's numbers it's a manipulation of numbers yeah it's the context of it that that will hide the sneakiness yeah you 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 need to sort of say like this was this data was collected by you know knocking door to door between this period on these in these locations or whatever if you were you know collecting to do a poll say you need to you need to say as much as you can about that and then you can you can you can sort of judge for yourself the reader can judge for yourself a little bit about okay well do i do i think that's a good way to be gathering data for example and you know what with with advertising you've got um things like the advertising standards agency um who are there to receive complaints and to look further into claims um, I mean, there's some good, great. I mean, the eight out of ten cats preferred whiskers is a classic <laughs> example of that. Um, there's a Colgate ad, uh, I think, a little while back, 2010, 2011, saying that um, the number one toothpaste used, that this particular toothpaste was the number one toothpaste used by, by dentists. Um, but then there's an asterisk by that. Um, which says that that was based on a survey of 300 dentists between this time period. And if you dig a little further, you find that the British Dental Association is actually made up of 23,000 members. So <laughs> where, is, yeah. where is it a meaningful sample? Yeah. So I do hope that AI is going to really help in this remit. So I don't know if, you. I don't know if you've used ChatGPT4 today, 
but they've just done a new upgrade where you can actually it'll give you the citation of where that information has now come from so if you say uh you know or something ridiculous like uh which is the most preferred cat food um it will probably say it'll uh, and it'll give you that citation of where that whiskers quote came from and then you can look at the data yourself and blah blah, blah. and i i hope uh that ai is going to become much smarter that when you read a statistic or whatever it'll you can ask your ai where did that where did that come from give me a bit more data about it i don't know if you can then ask the ai to tell you how reasonable that is and that's when it probably becomes a bit of an arms race over who controls the ai um but it's possible that in time uh these things will become more transparent and better yes and and as you say not just on statistics but I, I find statistics, unfortunately, I find statistics quite a hard word to say for this podcast, unfortunately for me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned about AI, though. I actually use it because AI is excellent in principle at summarizing. And I actually fed it mm-hmm. a whole load of reviews and said, can you summarize these reviews, qualitative reviews, um, like comments that people had left and say, can you let me know what the overall is on, you know, I don't actually, it matters what the prompt is. I might have said, what's typical or what's average? Or can you summarize? I don't know what the prompt was exactly. Yeah. Um, but I disagreed with it in the end. And I, But it wrote a very plausible thing. And then I went back and I looked at all the reviews and I was like, mm, that's not how I would have summarized it. You know, I, yeah. But you, but you wouldn't know that unless no. you sat down and looked at all the individual ones. Um, it's quite, quite yeah. tricky. There's, there's, yeah. there's still a way to go. Have you asked it about yourself? That's what's no. quite interesting. Because it can come up with like completely ridiculous stuff. And you're like, hang on, I know. Hang on, that's about me. No, I know that didn't happen. Or like, oh, that's cool. Oh, hang on, this didn't happen. Oh, yeah, nice. <laughs> I was thinking about the cats and whiskers. Do you remember the, there's the one like nine out of ten people prefer Pepsi? Like, I think in taste tests, people generally do prefer Pepsi to Coke. Um, what I heard, and I don't know if it's true, is that usually because Pepsi is a little bit sweeter, mm-hmm. you prefer it on the first taste. But if you were to drink a whole can of it, you might prefer Coke with something slightly right. less sweeter. Yeah. And so there is sort of an, a really interesting thing where you're like, they collected the data. People said they preferred it. Mm-hmm. It's true. But they Let's didn't. With that. But maybe they only had a sip. Yeah. So when, you know, what what do you actually count as a, a valid approximation to reality? Absolutely. It's just quite tricky so i went on to the uh, advertising standards authority agency um agency try on try again website. try again it's one of those two asa yeah to try and find uh, a kind of set number for surveys um yeah. to make any kind of advertising claim to see if there was a set number to to make those statistics statistically significant yeah. or not and there is no set number no. it's all about kind of proportionality and it's really irritating it reasonable as someone that those kind of words reasonable yeah. claims you know, well, help me define that. And there isn't there isn't clear cut guidance on it. it's got to be X number of people because I remember going through all this when we were doing teeth whitening stuff. We're like, no, really? can you just yeah. tell me how many people we need to have on a survey? Because I, I see a lot of these, as you said at the beginning, Rob, these sort of beauty surveys where there's a big advert all about L'Oreal or Estee Lauder or something, and you know, ninety eight percent of people love this, and you see at the bottom it was like survey of fifty people. You're mm. like, oh come that, on, that just seems. First time awful. I started noticing that, it just made me laugh. Like, fifty? Surely that can't be valid. <laughs> yeah. 
and we don't know who those fifty people were. Did those uh, did those fifty people? I don't know, well, and I'm not. We surveyed. We surveyed five hundred and four hundred and fifty words of bothered, so we just chose these fifty. Is that and allowed? Did they all receive free goodie bags full of all your <laughs> yeah. goods? Did they all, they, they all worked at Estee Lauder? <laughs> did they all, yeah, we don't know at the background about friends anyone. and family. <laughs> Anyway, there we go. We're just um, all so cynical of it, anyway, aren't we? We're just like, yeah. Well, well, yeah, but but probably rightly so because we've been we've been guided down this path no. by yeah. the right. likes of um, advertisers. Mind you, that said, I've also been guilty of uh, looking at statistics from again, and I've talked about this before when I worked in an office and and had a job project managing, and I would do um, a survey uh, every year. Um, qualitative and quantitative and when I got those statistics and figures back I was so excited to delve into them to try and find the best possible way to present myself oh, at my end of year gosh. review from those numbers oh, and I loved it it's like brilliant I've got this spreadsheet full of these numbers massive right. amount of data let's get going all that, where can all I that's find not very the good let's statistic? get rid of that one <laughs> sounds, sounds like good yeah, exactly. <laughs> I found one here good I don't think anybody's ever reported this statistic before but I'm now going to come up with an argument why I feel like it is a really significant <laughs> statistic to present because it's good so I am absolutely guilty of it as well you don't work there anymore do you Rob <laughs> but that said that said um uh, I was trying to find some, very good uh, statistics. Well, I was trying to find some <laughs> statistics about the uh, <laughs> about the podcast that I could use to <laughs> to finish off the podcast. Um, I mean, guys, I don't know if you're aware of this, so the, but the um, average listeners in the middle of the Atlantic, isn't it? Well, so <laughs> so according to statistics, if you want to cut statistics some ways, zero point one percent of Guernsey's population are avid listeners. Ooh. <laughs> that is Ben. I mean, right? That's it's not. That's, that's the that's the people we, we know. We we have a close friend who lives in Guernsey, and, <laughs> and, and Guernsey was of all the locations that get separated out, um, because Guernsey's not a country. It's um, I don't know, is island. It, it's an island, but it's part. Of, anyway, it gets separated out from the UK on um, the back end of our uh, podcast publishing website, so I can see where people are listening from. And I tried to find the the location with the smallest national population or the smallest population, and Guernsey was it. Uh, so I went for that because the numbers were quite high in terms of how many listens we'd had. Amazing, but zero point one percent it still isn't that big, mm. right? But I was no way near going to go. <laughs> Probably wouldn't just pick it out for your annual report. Yeah. No, but if you went to UK, where the majority of our listeners are, and put that against the whatever seventy thousand, that that didn't come out any better. <laughs> But also, did you know that? So this this was my highest percentage. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, guys, but um, Sketchmanations, the podcast, has a listener to production team ratio of over two thousand three hundred percent. Ooh! So there you go. Excellent. That's a good one. How's that changed from last episode? <laughs> um, boys, any other any other business on sneaky averages? I was trying to think of. Um, it was funny that you asked Tom what the weather was like in China. And you, like, like, I was thinking, like you know, asking the weather in China is exactly is is kind of like a sneaky average kind of question. It is, yeah. As uh, you yeah. say, like, to, we just, if you're on top of Mount Everest, it's, it's pretty chilly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where Tom was, it was 29. I was thinking the Marianas Trench is is like if you say the average depth of a stretch of ocean. That's kind of what I drew in my sketch. I was trying to think also, like, if you were if you said like, what's the average? flood depth of an area where you were buying like a house or something we don't really care yeah. about the average in that in that case but, 
Yeah, very true. Kept... What happens at number 77? <laughs> yeah, there's, the maximum's probably more more relevant in those kind of scenarios. For a number of years, um, along with a, a group of probably about six or seven people, I went and ran some some of the world's biggest marathons, so some of the big cities like New York, Chicago, London, Berlin. And I, I remembered this earlier. After some of them, and I remember that in Berlin, like a couple of weeks after, I'd put together a presentation deck, a slide deck, and send it out to everybody. And everybody had their own page, and it, and I would have found their overall result, the result for where they came for their gender, the result for their where they came for their gender in that age group. And I'd always find some way of making making everybody number one in a particular category. So just keep cutting it and keep cutting it. And I think for one of our friends, I come up with the for bearded. Belgians who are dads over the age of 40 he was number one nice <laughs> that's brilliant it's like I think one of our friends is like the fastest London marathon dressed as a 3D cartoon yes. character yes yeah. yes and that is a genuine Guinness Guinness Book of Records record, right? yeah yeah. Which, which is very impressive but there's a, I suppose there's a lot of different things you could <laughs> yeah. could could have records for hats off to you Jez or yeah. 3D robot head off to you Jez yes Yes. Well, to close out this episode, instead of quoting some some more useless and highly manipulated sketch relations to the podcast statistics, um, I thought I'd use another supposed Mark Twain quote as Tommy necks back another bit of dairy milk. (laughs) That facts are stubborn things, but statistics are pliable. Thank you all very much for listening. Uh, you can email us your thoughts and your stories about sneaky averages to hello at sketchrelations.com. You're disgusting, Tom. Um, we'll be going through last week's correspondence in just a sec. And there'll be another episode ready and waiting for you next week. Mm. But for now, again, thanks for listening. Go well. Stay well. Goodbye. <laughs> Good night. Nom, nom, nom. Nom, nom, nom. All right, let's delve into this week's post bag. And we're going to start with a message from Richard on Instagram. Uh, so this is in reference to our episode on groupthink last week. And in that, we talked about the play and the film 12 Angry Men. Um, so Richard says, 12 Angry Men is a great example of how one person through force of personality can use a variety of approaches, a variety of approaches, sorry, to make a group of people question a communal belief. Absolutely, Richard, that is that is exactly it. But he goes on to say there's also a great book called Leadership Secrets of Attila the Hun, right? <laughs> which apparently illustrates how to lead through pure force of will and character. Uh, Richard goes on, it's sometimes used by bosses, especially in regards to imposing their will by targeting the member of staff they feel would be the loudest dissenting voice on a contentious decision that they want to push through. Uh, he says it's a fascinating read with plenty of modern day applications can you imagine that a leadership book on the leadership style of attila the hun uh tommy how how would that go down uh, <laughs> how would that go down in your company if you suddenly came in and uh and put down the the leadership philosophies of yeah. attila the hun for everyone to find maybe if i weighed a thousand kilos like i'm sure he <laughs> did that that might work out better for me but as i'm quite small uh i yeah no that would be awful um and actually having been with uh 
Lord Sugar today, if I tried to do that approach in board meetings with him, that would also end very, very badly. <laughs> I don't know. I think we need to read the book now. I'm quite intrigued. It reminds me, I was re-listening to the um, discussion we had about clickbait headlines, and I was like, that's quite a good one, isn't it? Yeah. The leadership secrets of Attila the Hun. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> what are the leadership secrets of Attila the Hun? I wonder if there are some some positive things to take out, as well as some questionable leadership values. I, I mean, I don't think somebody would have written a book on it if yeah. if it was all about overwhelming your opposition with arrows <laughs> and riding them down on horseback. Yeah, <laughs> I think there's something in it. That wasn't necessarily what I was suggesting for for Tommy Cordry. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, and after our discussion, we t- I, I thought about that film, and I was like, "Wow, it's crazy that it didn't come." I did, didn't men. come, yeah, it didn't come up to me before, but it's just such a, it is such a great dramatization of groupthink and and the power to to undo that, and actually what it takes to do mm. it. I mean, so it's a, it's fictional, but it's still, yeah, it sticks with you once you've seen it. Thank you very much for your message, Richard. We've got another one here from Christopher, also via Instagram. Christopher says, it's always difficult to find the right balance with group meetings. You always get the quiet one, the vocal one, the opinionated one, the joker, the serious one, the one that's happy to sit on the fence and the dominant one. (laughs) Uh, He says, you could go on forever, but mainly you see these types of people in meetings and the vocal and domineering one always feel they get their way. Um, I will paraphrase this slightly. So um, Christopher goes on to suggest that for the domineering one and the vocal one within a group, you you can hear them out, maybe let them leave the room, and then you can allow those who maybe weren't as confident to put their, their voices forward, which is a lot about what we talked about last week, Johnny. You know, you what I, what I loved about last week's episode, actually, and I'm going to talk about this, is that there were quite a few really strong recommendations and piece of advice tools really if you like on how to try and avoid groupthink which i hope is really useful to um, some of our listeners who maybe have to lead meetings and have to lead group decisions yeah definitely i mean we're in groups all the time yeah and so they're so so helpful yeah both formally within work and professional and uh informally as well which again we touched upon last week yeah and just your social groups <laughs> yeah right i'm going to be looking out for uh for you using some of those tools from last week <laughs> use some of these tools against you let's see what he's doing so, rob do you mind leaving the room now <laughs> see what he's doing. i've got some things to discuss <laughs> <laughs> And on that bombshell, I will leave Tommy and Johnny to uh, to discuss other matters. And we'll leave all of you as well. Thank you very much for all your messages. Keep them coming in. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We'll be back in a bye week. Bye-bye. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Music on this podcast is sourced from the very talented Frank Cinelli. And you can find loads more tracks at frankcinelli.com.